humans. Hello, hello, humans of the Twin Cities, of Minnesota, of the world. How are you all? It's me, Ellie Krug, with Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. Happy Monday morning. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for letting me occupy a part of your brain for the next hour. And I'm just so grateful. I truly am very, very grateful. And so welcome to LE 2.0 Radio, where I'm a practical idealist, not a pie-in-the-sky kind of person, but practical, grounded in reality, yet I believe in the power of humans to change the world for the better. And I know that many of you listening right now also are capable of doing that. You certainly want that. And so let's get started. Have you seen the movie The Post? starring Tom Hanks as Ben Bradley and Meryl Streep as Catherine Graham, uh, the owner of the Washington Post. The Post is about uh, the decision by the Washington Post to publish the Pentagon Papers in 1971. Um, Both of them, they wrestled with the question of whether or not to publish those papers. Um, The Pentagon Papers were were about a top-secret study of the U.S. government's involvement in the Vietnam War. Many credit the Pentagon Papers as hastening the end of the war. That whole episode, the entire Pentagon Papers controversy, was brought about by one man, an idealist of the strongest kind. That man's name, Daniel Ellsberg. Thus, this week's idealist I want to highlight is Daniel's Ellsberg. And in doing so, Ellsberg's life is a case study of what makes for an idealist. Ellsberg was born in April 1931 to parents who converted from Judaism to Christian science, to being Christian scientists. When he was 15 years old, he experienced a profound tragedy that taught him that the world absolutely was not was not fair. And you're going to hear later on in the show, I should have told you that we'll be highlighting our big interviews with a man named uh, David Liners, who also came to early on understand that the world was not fair. But we'll get to that in a second. But with Daniel Ellsberg, when he was 15 years old, the tragedy that he experienced was the death of his mother and his sister in a car accident car accident caused by his father who fell asleep at the wheel. And one can imagine how this shaped uh, Ellsberg's understanding of not taking anything for granted and that the world, in fact, is very unfair. Ellsberg later went on to college. He graduated from Harvard University in the 1950s with a degree in economics. And then in the mid-1950s, he went on to enlist in the United States Marine Corps. He served there for three years and rose to the rank of first lieutenant. Beginning in the late 1950s and on and off again during the 1960s, Ellsberg worked for the Rand Corporation, which was a consulting company on defense topics. Um, And Ellsberg, um, his area of specialty was nuclear strategy and the control of nuclear weapons. Not, you know, pretty darn important stuff. And part of this, when Ellsberg went back to Harvard, he got his BA from Harvard in economics, then he went back and got his PhD. He did a, he did a dir- dissertation on decision-making under conditions of uncertainty or ambiguity and how doing, making decisions in those conditions can, can influence the decisions and make those decisions not particularly appropriate or good. In 1964, Ellsberg was hired by the State Department and set to Vietnam where he could look at the Vietnam War up close. When he got back from Vietnam a couple of years later, he went back to working for Rand and then worked on a study that, the, that Williams, William McNamara, um, the Secretary of Defense in, in uh, 1967-68, working under LBJ, under Lyndon B. Johnson, McNamara had commissioned a study to look at the Vietnam War, the origins, how it, American involvement there. As Ellsworth was doing that work, um, um, part of working on this study about the Vietnam War and the U.S. involvement, um, he came to understand that really the, the Vietnam was not a civil war, as that was the of, official line, but rather that it was an instrument of the United States. Um, he came to believe oppressing people. You know, and he he began to sour definitely on the war. 
And we need to set the stage here because at the time that this was going on in the late 1960s, um, this was a horrible time for the war, horrible time for Americans. There were, by, and I will talk about this also in the C block when I talk about how I got shaped as an idealist. But I mean, regularly on television, there were, you know, weekly counts of the number of Americans that were being killed in Vietnam. And those counts on some weeks were five or six hundred Americans. Five or six hundred Americans being killed. And he was seeing all of this, and he was starting to sour on the war. And then he started to attend anti-war events while still working for RAND. And in August of 1969, he was at Haver Haverford College, where he heard a speech by a draft resistor named uh, Randy Keeler. Um, Randy Keeler, I remember, um, because Keeler was a draft dodger, quote-unquote draft dodger. He was a draft resistor, actually. The draft dodgers went to Canada. Keeler stayed, and he said, I'm not going to fight in the war. And he knew he was going to go to jail. Keeler was speaking at this event in August of 69 where Wells, where Ellsberg uh, participated, where he went to hear Keeler speak. He did not know who Keeler was. And I'm going to quote you something from what um, Ellsberg later wrote about in terms of how Keeler's, Randy Ke Keeler's um, talk impacted him. Quote, this is from Ellsberg, quote, It wasn't what he, Keeler, said exactly that changed my worldview. It was the example he was setting with his life, how his words in general show that he was a stellar American, that he was going to jail as a very deliberate choice because he thought it was the right thing to do. There was no question in my mind that my government was involved in an unjust war that was going to continue and get larger. Thousands of young men were dying each year. I left the auditorium and found a deserted men's room. I sat on the floor and cried for over an hour, just sobbing. The only time in my life I've ever reacted to something like that. Randy Keeler never thought he was going to, that his going to prison would end the war. If I hadn't ret, met Randy Keeler, it wouldn't have occurred to me to copy the Pentagon Papers. His action spoke to me as no mere words could have done. He put the right question in my mind at the right time. So Keeler was a watermark, a, a watershed for Ellsberg. And it caused Ellsberg to understand and to realize that he, as a human, as an individual, could do something within his power to change the world. And so then... He knew that he had the Pentagon Papers. He knew he had this study at Rand. And he decided that he would act. So not long after hearing Keeler speak, Ellsberg and another Rand employee by the name of Anthony Russo made several sets of photographs of classified documents. Those documents showed the history of lying about the war, the government's history of lying, that the lying was continuing into the Johnson administration and then... Um, and then um, um, possibly into the Nixon administration. Uh, Ellsberg knew that a U.S. senator couldn't be prosecuted for saying something on the Senate floor, and he attempted to get two senators, William Fulbright and George McGovern, to release the Pentagon Papers, this, this document on the, center, on the Senate floor, but they refused. Um, and part of that refusal was their fear that, resulting, that releasing those papers would result in the deaths of U.S. service members. Eventually, Ellsberg went to the New York Times. He went with 7,000 papers to the New York Times. In June of and in June of 1971, the New York Times published the first of nine planned installments about the Pentagon Papers. The Nixon administration, with that first installment, quickly went to court. And they got a judge to order a temporary injunction to the Times from publishing any further. It was the very first time that that had happened in American history. Ellsberg then later, um, within days, leaked the documents to the Washington Post and 17 other papers. And that was what the Post, that movie was all about, was the Washington Post deciding whether they would publish the Pentagon Papers and be at risk of being um, held in contempt of the order against the New York Times and a post employees, including Catherine Jan Graham, going to jail. But by the end of June, the, the Supreme Court ordered that it was okay to print the papers, and uh, they went public. Ellsberg later on 
was charged with violating federal law about U.S. secrets. He ended up having a trial that began in, 19, in May of 1973, but um, the trial court found that the U.S. government had engaged in um, some illegal acts related to Wellsburg, which I don't have time to get into, and the court um, dismissed the charges against Ellsberg. After that, Ellsberg lauded, was lauded for his bravery in leaking the documents. He then became an advocate for leaking documents and a supporter of Edward Snowden and Chelsea Manning and WikiLeaks when they were disclosing documents. Daniel Ellsberg, an idealist. That idealism very well may have shortened the war and saved the lives of American soldiers. That's what idealists do. When we come back from our break, I'm going to interview another idealist, one that's going on in Wisconsin right now, um, who's doing incredible work. Thanks for listening to the show. I'll be back in a second. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Be sure to pick up your copy of this month's Natural Awakenings magazine, a free local guide to a healthier and more balanced life. Each monthly issue includes timely, local, national, and global stories. Learn about alternative and complementary medicine, nutrition, fitness for body and mind, personal growth, sustainability, and much more. Natural Awakenings can be found at area health food stores, food co-ops, and retail locations. More information is available at NaturalTwinCities.com. That's NaturalTwinCities.com. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Toyotathon is on. Head to Rudy Luther Toyota and check out the great deals. Rudy Luther has huge model year-end incentives, but it's the continued service which will make you a loyal Luther customer. Get two years maintenance free with every new Toyota purchased performed in one of the largest volume service departments in the country. They'll never sell you service you don't need. Plus, the Luther Advantage card gets you great discounts at Holiday. Go to RudyLutherToyota.com for all the Toyotathon deals. Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Back on AM 950 with Ellie Krug, Ellie 2.0 Radio. Oh, my goodness. You know, uh, Daniel Ellsberg, let me just tell you um, the guts and the courage that it took for him to do what he did, try and change the course of the Vietnam War, try and change the course of American politics, try and change the course of America. Well, um, we are now uh, ready for the big interview with somebody else who has who is an idealist like Ellsberg, who is also trying to change the course, but probably not as big. On the line, I have 
David uh, Liners um, from Wisconsin and uh, from an organization in Wisconsin called Wisdom, also the executive director of another organization uh, named Micah. David, welcome to LE 2.0 Radio. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Oh, well, it's great to have you. And, uh, and David, um, I, you know, I think that you have a really, really compelling story. And as you and I talked, I mean, LE 2.0 Radio is about idealists. When I heard about you and, um, and then you and I spoke uh, to prepare for the show, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a real idealist. So, David, if you could, would you let's start out by you explaining a little bit about what wisdom is in Wisconsin and then MICA. M-I-C-A-H, and then I, we'll get your story a little bit, but let's at least give the, the listeners an idea of why you're on the show relative to those two organizations. Sure. So Wisdom is a, it's a network of primarily but not exclusively faith-based organizations around the state of Wisconsin. There's about a dozen organizations. Uh, we work, basically our, our job is uh, to make sure that ordinary people uh, get a chance to stop being either victims or bystanders and actually get involved in the public arena and actually take on uh, some of the issues that affect their lives. So uh, a lot of people coming to us from a faith vantage point, we have 19 different religions kind of ranging from Catholics to Lutherans to Buddhists to Muslims and uh, Jewish congregations. Uh, we also have a lot of people who come to us directly as uh, formerly incarcerated people or people who just simply want to get involved in some of the issues that, um, that we work with. So that's the statewide network, and MICA is the oldest organization in the network. MICA in Milwaukee has been around for 30 years. Uh, kind of been doing this work ever since then. Micah is Milwaukee Inner City Congregations Allied for Hope. A real quick little correction. I'm not actually the executive director of Micah. That position is actually open. I'm the executive director for Wisdom, but Micah is part of the umbrella of ah, the group. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. I thought that you had had the direct relationship with Micah. I'm um, a member of Micah. Okay. You know? That's where I started. That's, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, that's great. So the executive director of Wisdom, and um, and so uh, um, we'll get all right. So I just wanted to lay that groundwork. Let's get let's get to you first now, David, and um, tell us a little bit about your story. You're not too far off from my age. You're 60 years old. You grew up in you grew up in Wisconsin, right? I did. Okay, yeah. and um, you told me it was uh, pretty much a leave it to Beaver kind of household life that you had growing up in the in the '60s, and so take us take us forward to what got you to a place where um, you're doing some pretty radical things in Wisconsin as it relates to getting people to be socially conscious. Yeah, so um, I, like you say, I grew up in a very uh, relatively comfortable, uh, small-town existence. My dad was a dentist. You know, my parents had both grown up during the Depression in northern Minnesota. Um, uh -huh. So I certainly knew about kind of their background, but, I, you know, my dad was uh, kind of a, a standard kind of greatest generation kind of guy. Went to World War II, came out, went through school on the GI Bill, and uh, worked his way through dental school, worked in a foundry at night and went to dental school during the day. And so that was kind of the story I grew up with. And uh, that, you know, the world is such that if you work hard and you're an honest person like my dad, things will work out for you. You'll you'll end up, you know, um, you'll end up with a good life. A view, a view that the world was fair, right? Yeah, right. That the world was fair and that it was just kind of set up that you basically you get what you work for. And uh, I really believed that. That's what everybody taught me. And um, the turning point for me on that in my life is when I was in college, I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do when I grew up. I'd been an exchange student in high school, so I spoke Spanish. And I, um, I volunteered to work in a mission in rural Guatemala for, um, for a time. And it was when I was there that a whole lot of things happened, including a massacre just up the road. From oh, my God. Uh, so what year, what year would this have been in Guatemala? Would have been in 1978. Okay, uh, and was this this was before their um, civil war or or while it was this going? Was in, on? It was kind of in the midst of it. Okay, uh, all right. 
So, you know, we actually, there was a whole village of people like, you know, so we were in a small town, but the mission included all these kind of very remote indigenous villages. Um, one of the priests in the mission went to one of the villages and it was gone. Like, not just people, a few people disappeared, an entire village was disappeared. Oh my God. Um, and it's suddenly, through a whole lot of such experiences and just the experience of watching children dying of dysentery, um, you know, that it suddenly just hit me like a ton of bricks. That it's like, you know what? They lied to me. So, uh, so your story, I'm going to interrupt you here, but yeah. your story is not at all unlike the um, enlightenment that came to Daniel Ellsberg about his experience. You know, he was in Vietnam and right. uh, he went to Vietnam um, and saw what the government was doing, both the South Vietnamese government and the American, but the South Vietnamese were doing it at the American behest and, and seeing all of the, all of the horror. So you have that in common with Ellsberg, but go on, go on, please. Right. So it just kind of came to me that, you know, what worked for my dad and for my mom didn't work for a whole lot of people, but there's a whole lot of people that work hard and be an honest person and things are going to work out for you. And I think that was kind of the moment that I realized I kind of, I have to do something different. I can't, uh, I have to, there's part of me that's still an idealist, that's still in that sense, I believe that's the way the world ought to be. I think it ought to work out for everybody like it worked out for my dad. Um, Absolutely. And I, I have a very hard time accepting that it doesn't. And as a matter of fact, to this day, you know, we do a lot of work in criminal justice reform and stuff. And I hear stories and my first reaction is, well, that can't possibly be. The world can't possibly be that unfair to some people. Um, and mm. then it's like, well, sure enough, it can, you know, and it is. And so that's the thing that just kind of won't let me rest. But David, we do not have to accept it. We do that. We do not. We do not have to just let it come and lie with us, and then we we participate in it or we put up with it. We do not have to do that. And right. so, and and you recognize that. That's why I'm having you here on the show because I'm telling you, as you're speaking, you are in, further inspiring me, Elite Krug idealist. So I just want you to know that. Okay. <laughs> so David, all right. So we're going to have to take a break right now. But when we come back. Um, we'll talk further with you. And um, so, listeners, we've been speaking to uh, David uh, Liners about um, his work in Wisconsin as an idealist. When we come back, we'll talk more uh, about that. If you like what you hear on LA 2.0 Radio, and we are bringing you people like David, bringing you stories about people making differences in the world. If you like what you hear, go to my website at elliekrug.com, sign up for my newsletter, The Ripple, or email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. We'll be back in a minute to talk further with David. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Enjoy a delicious home-cooked breakfast or lunch away from the kitchen at Milda's Cafe, now open seven days a week. Milda's Cafe has been cooking up family favorites since 1964. Grab a coffee and sit down for a delicious Philly scramble, house-made rolls, or Denver omelet. Stop in for lunch where you'll find authentic Finnish pasties every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Open weekdays 6 to 3, weekends 8 to 2. Milda's Cafe on Glenwood Avenue, four blocks east of Penn. This holiday season, think outside the everyday chocolate box. 
Make a splash with your friends, family, and clients with elegantly packaged artisan chocolates from Chocolat Celeste. Come taste the intoxicating flavor of the finest European chocolate, handcrafted with love by founder and chocolatier Mary Leonard. Mary and her staff will help you understand the kind of chocolate that everyone wants and dreams about. Watch while the recipient opens the box. It's like a beautiful piece of holiday artwork. Then watch them taste the sweet and complex flavors. This holiday season, Chocolat Celeste has created an artisan collection for AM950 listeners. Get 25% off of 6, 12, and 24-piece collections in-store only. A winter-themed truffle box of raspberry, Grand Marnier, peanut butter, key lime, lemon, Thai spice, frangelico, and more. Open 9.30 to 5.30 daily, Chocolat Celeste is located at 652 Transfer Road in St. Paul, just four blocks off I-94 at the Cretan Vandalia exit. Chocolat Celeste, the way chocolate is meant to be. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years. Celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Today will be sunny with a high near 35, and tonight mostly clear with a low around 25. Tuesday, increasing clouds with a high near 40, and at night, a low around 29. Wednesday's looking to be clear with a high of 40 and a low of 29. Your Eat Local Minnesota's Restaurant of the Week is the Downtowner Wood Fire Grill. The Downtowner is a perfect choice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Experience their cozy fireside dining alongside their delicious food and extensive wine list. Check out the full menu at downtownerwoodfire.com. We are back on LA 2.0 Radio. Oh, my goodness. We're speaking with David Liners, um, who is, I think, uh, fair to say, an activist idealist in Wisconsin, um, involved with an organization named Wisdom. Um, but before we get uh, further about Wisdom, David, when we broke for our break, you were telling us about your experience in Central America, particularly in Guatemala, where you saw the horrors of what war could do to people as well as as disease and all of the other things that go um, with people who are the have-nots versus the haves and and this impacted you and so you saw this in Guatemala and then what happened what how did your how did your trajectory change sure so the the people that I worked with uh, were uh, actually Catholic priests and nuns. The priests are members of a religious order called the Claritian Missionaries, a fairly small group uh, that came from Spain. And so my first sense was, maybe this is what I need to be. I need to kind of join them. So I, went, I came back and went to the seminary and uh, was a Catholic priest on the south side of Chicago for about 11 years, working mostly in great big Mexican parishes. And um, you really saw that as a, as a path to try to kind of bring about change, to kind of uh, connect uh, with people. It was, uh, it was very similar. I was working with very similar people to who I had known in Guatemala, but they were, they were here now. Um, so that's, uh, that's kind of where that took me at first for, for 11 years, and it was a very happy 11 years, as a matter of fact, uh, that I served as a priest. Okay, and, but, but then that changed for you. It did. Um, you know, it was uh, one of the trainings that we do in community organizing training is we talk about, you know, your public life and your private life. So I really liked my public life as a priest. I liked my job, but I didn't particularly like my life after work. <laughs> I was sort of like I was just kind of yearned to have a home to go to. Well, a pr- um, and a priest I, is always yeah. on 24 hours, so... You know. Well, right. And um, so anyhow, at some point, I was kind of in my late 30s, and I thought, you know, I I don't want to become uh, kind of, I don't know what you'd want to say, kind of dried up. I don't want to become somebody who's just a functionary and who's only their job that I need to, I, I need to kind of move. And I need to uh, explore at least having a family and being married and things. So that's, I left that and 
came, I moved back up to Wisconsin. I went to Milwaukee. I unloaded trucks at UPS for a while. I worked at the welfare office for a while. In the meantime, my wife and I, my current, my, my wife now and I, uh, got engaged and got married. And um, I found Micah, the organization here um, in Milwaukee, and they needed a Spanish-speaking organizer. And it was like, hey, I'm, I'm not loving working at the welfare office. So uh, it was a great chance for me to actually do the kind of work that I wanted to do and, as a matter of fact, also have a life. Okay, which is, is absolutely fair. So, um, of course, you know, and, and so tell us then, uh, how did wisdom come about and really uh, give us a real good idea of what it's doing right now in Wisconsin? Sure. So wisdom, um, you know, we, we began in Micah. We began with, you know, churches mostly on the north side of Milwaukee, which is kind of the, the poorer side of Milwaukee, the side of Milwaukee that uh, most of the African-American community is. Right. Well, Milwaukee, we Milwaukee is, the, I think, been characterized as the most segregated city in America. So Yes. Yes. Um, absolutely. So we built a pretty strong organization here, but we realized if we really, really wanted to make the change on the level we needed to make change, we weren't going to do it just with people from here. We needed friends. We needed to we needed to combine forces with other people in other parts of the state. Um, that you know, so that when we went to Madison, I'll never forget the one time when I was with Micah. We went to Madison and we visited with a Republican state legislator. Um, who was the head of the education committee, and we kind of explained to him that a particular policy was very unfair to Milwaukee. And he leaned back and he said, well, they didn't elect me to be fair to Milwaukee. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> That's telling me something. we got to go find some people in his district because we got to find the people who elect him. Um, so that's the kind of reason that we say, you know, we need to kind of build around the state. We need to build something that can cross geographic and even economic and racial boundaries and really build a, you know, a progressive coalition of people who can, who will stand together. So, uh, and, and you, fairness. and you have how many, how many chapters of MICA in Wisconsin? So there's a, a, about a dozen chapters. They're all okay. different names. So, so it's MICA and Jonah and Joshua and Ruth and there's all kinds, they have all kinds of different names, but they're every city. Okay. So all right. So, okay, and and wisdom is in is in those twelve cities as well. Right. Wisdom. Wisdom is the umbrella group that all the locals belong. Okay. To. All right. And 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 as you said at the start of the show, that they're very. I mean, we're we're talking different religions. So this isn't a captive of a particular faith. This is a this is a ground roots effort by people to affect social change. Absolutely. And, you know, it, the, all the, the different faith traditions, when it comes to things like human dignity and fairness, um, there's a lot of common ground that, uh, that people have. And that's, uh, that's what we bring people together around. The, you know, really that's kind of uh, what in the Catholic tradition we call preferential option for the poor exists in some form or another in just about all of our faith traditions, that we need to really take the side of the people who are the most marginalized um, and need them to have a voice and we need for the rest of us to stand with them. But it's not uniform in Wisconsin as far as wisdom's acceptance. Um, you told me that there are um, some archdiocese, some dioceses in Wisconsin that won't allow its, um, its churches to be involved right. with wisdom. Do I have that right? Yeah, so a couple of the Catholic bishops, you know, unfortunately we have enemies, or maybe fortunately, you know. I actually once took a conference from Gustavo Gutierrez, uh, the liberation theologian, who just had this great line. He said, you know, Jesus' big commandment was love your enemies. So if you don't have any enemies, you're not doing something right. So the first thing you got to do, so do is get some enemies. So we've accomplished that. Okay. So there's, uh, there's some folks who really, really oppose us and who really loudly oppose us and um, who kind of organize against us and basically especially put a big effort a few years ago into convincing bishops that they shouldn't support us and that they shouldn't let churches belong, and they were successful with a couple of the bishops. So Give us an example. Give us it doesn't actually stop the Catholic mem Catholic folks from finding a way to be part of it. Oh, sure. They still see this as an essential part of their faith. Unfortunately, just the institutions get uh, hampered. David, give us uh, uh, quickly an example of some impact that wisdom has had in Wisconsin. 
So, um, well, one that we've had um, pretty recently is we had a big campaign uh, that actually Tonin O'Connor, who was on your show a few weeks ago, was a huge part of to reduce the use of solitary confinement in Wisconsin. We've actually gotten it reduced by about a third. Uh, that's still way more. There's still way more people in solitary confinement than should be. Um, but actually, it's interesting that our Department of Corrections and the Scott Walker administration actually credited us for that. We said, "Well, well, you know, we've heard. We you know we've. This is this is a result of changing norms in the community, or whatever they whatever they said about it. So that would be an example. Um, we've got a lot of examples of being able to like extend." transit routes keep transit a lot of our victories in recent years have been bad things that could have been worse <laughs> that we stopped okay. you know like stop deeper cuts in the transit system stop some deeper cuts in some social programs okay um we've had uh actually we've had a lot of success in also in criminal justice they called treatment alternatives and diversions into the state budget that now funds about seven million dollars a year of directly programs that are people who would have gone to jail or prison but instead get into a treatment program. Again, this yeah. year with our new governor, we're hoping to expand that tremendously, but, you know, $7 million is $7 million. Um, that was a step in the right direction. We've had some things having to do with getting banks to increase the amounts of money that they were loaning to, you know, individual homeowners here on the north side of Milwaukee. So there's been a, there's been a, lot, of, uh, a lot of different things. So, all right. So, obviously, broad-based, and and as far as my knowledge is, we don't have anything like this in Minnesota. So, um, when we're done with this show, I'm going to talk with you about maybe how we can do some collaboration building. But tell me, what do you think um, really are the keys here about doing this kind of work, and really, how does it relate back to idealism? You and I had talked about the power of imagination as we prepared for the show. Will you expand on that? Will you talk about that, please? Well, absolutely. I think a huge part of what we need to do in our work is just even create for people the the possibility that things could be different. It's, you know, we have one of our campaigns that we're working on very, very hard right now is to get closed down a place called the Milwaukee Secure Detention Facility. It's a horrible um, state prison, actually, in the middle of downtown. It actually looks like a high-rise office building, but in fact, it's a prison. And as a matter of fact, it looks like it has windows, but it doesn't. Like, you see windows from the outside, but that's a facade, and then there's a cement box inside. Okay. It's a horrible, horrible facility, and most of the people in there are there for for technical violations of supervision. Like, they haven't even committed a crime. They okay. just broke a rule. And they're in this god-awful place. It's very hard to get people to say, you know, people say, well, yeah, but if you closed it, then what would you do? You know, you can't close it. You know, it's there. And it's like, you know, we, li- we lived for hundreds of years without the Milwaukee Secure Detention Facility. We can figure this out. We can, we can think of other ways to deal with people who maybe um, need help rather than having to lock them up. We can, we can envision other ways of, of, of actually structuring our economy. We can think of other ways of structuring uh, just about everything. So a huge part of things is to get people to say, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. There is actually something else that's possible. And that's really hard even for our progressive friends sometimes. You know, it's why sometimes progressive folks, get stuck into kind of a forward into the past mentality. Like the best we can think of is to go back to 1975 when, you know, some things were better. But it's like, that's not going to get us there. We have to imagine what can be next. And that's that's hard to do. It, you know, it, it takes people being really dedicated to imagining because we very, as human beings, we, we adapt really quickly. And then we assume that everything is the way that it has to be. Well, we do, and, and I, I'm a huge proponent of using our imagination to make the world a better place. And, you know, I mean, just look at uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, um, just, you know, speaking up about the fact that um, no one was paying their interns, you know, in, uh, right. in the right. House of Representatives and saying, well, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to shame all of you for not doing it. You know, I mean, right. that's... That's used, and and she's doing it even before she's doing that and talking about it even before she's sworn in. So right. she's like using her imagination. I I've got license. 
you know, and I'm going to yeah. use it. So, well, listen. Well, if, if, if I could, one of the things we've done a lot of in, in recent years and that we're really proud of as part of Wisdom is that we do have this group called Expo, Ex-Incarcerated People Organizing. Right. Look at how to change the criminal justice system. The people who have some imagination about it are people who've been there. Because they can picture, like, yeah, what happened right. to me wasn't inevitable. Like, I can tell you what would have been helpful to me, you know, that we're not looking at things analytically and, and that sort of thing, first of all. But first of all, we can actually look at human beings and their lived experience of what they saw and what they heard and what they felt and what could have been different. Well, it's like uh, the people who are administer the SNAP program, food stamps, trying to make decisions about how the how the cards are used or how the program is used, and they've never had to ever worry about, you know, feeding their kids. So exactly. it's, well, David, I have really, really enjoyed uh, talking with you, and I could talk with you further, but, but you and I will talk offline, okay, because I think that there is uh, room here for us to have conversations about collaborating in one form or another. Um, so I want to just thank you for being on the show, being on LE 2.0, uh, radio, and I really appreciate it. So, David, thank you for being here. Do I have a real quick chance to put in a pitch for our, our website? Absolutely. Go ahead. Wisdomwisconsin.org, www.wisdomwisconsin.org. If you want to learn more about us, or you want to get in touch with us, or if you want to help us out, we would appreciate any of that. Absolutely. And listeners, it's the end of the year. Looks like a great organization to send your checks. David Liners, thanks so very much for being on LE 2.0 Radio. And listeners, uh, when we come back, I'll do my C-block about uh, my experience as an idealist. Thank you. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. In the process of planning your next event, consider D'Amico Catering. Their team brings extensive experience and knowledge to the table to ensure that your event runs smoothly. With over 20 years of event planning and culinary experience, D'Amico has established their reputation as the Twin Cities' premier caterer. They've been trusted to carry out numerous weddings, corporate functions, and nonprofit fundraisers. D'Amico has the right staff to ensure your event is perfectly executed every time. More at D'AmicoCatering.com. Brending Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Hi, this is Jen of Vandalia Glassworks. Are you looking for a magical gift for the holidays? Consider the gift of art created from fire and blown to beautiful perfection. Vandalia Glassworks features stunning glass pieces that are one of a kind. Colorful, elegant vases, bowls, platters, paperweights, sculptures, tumblers, pendants, and more. Special pieces of art available for every price range. Find that special present at Vandalia Glassworks in St. Paul off the Vandalia exit north of 94. Find more at VandaliaGlassworks.com. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. 
are back on LA 2.0 Radio with Ellie Krug on AM 950. Um, yeah, so David Liners, Daniel Ellsberg, two idealists influenced by a number of things, including war. Wars that are <clears throat> government engaged in or wars by other people. The death of people. In this block, my C block here, I'm going to talk, I talk about my work as an idealist and I'm going to show, I'm going to talk about war as well and, uh, and about chaos and, and strife and unfairness. So what, you know, I, I keep coming back uh, to the topic of what made me an idealist. And you know what? I grew up at the same time um, as uh, David Liners and uh, certainly um, I was uh, growing up during the Vietnam War. Um, I was 11 years old when... Um, the Tet Offensive happened in 1968, and I was well aware of what was happening. And I was well aware of the body counts that were coming out on television every, every Friday night. They would come out every Friday is when the government would release its, its, the count of American soldiers killed or wounded in action. And I am here to just tell you, those numbers were horrific. And, you, and, and it was every Friday, every Friday of the year where those where those numbers would come out and um, and 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 I just absolutely have to tell you um, they impacted me and at the same time what was going on in the country in the ni- late 1960s in 1960 1965 there was the Watts riot in Los Angeles. In 1967, there were riots across the country in Newark and in Detroit and in other places. And I vividly, vividly remember watching those riots, particularly the ones in Newark, because at that time I lived in New Jersey. And I absolutely remember watching um, white police officers beating black black men. And, and then later in and still, while the war was going on, my family moved to Iowa, and I, I found out the power of writing. Many of you know that I am a writer. I write for Lavender Magazine um, every month, and I, I, I also have written a book, and I, I blog, and I have a newsletter that goes out every month. I am a writer. But I found out the power of writing and how, as an idealist, it could impact. And so as a kid um, in... Um, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, um, I think I was 10th grade, I got, in, I got into some kind of an English class. And I had a teacher there, Betty Becker, okay? Everyone's had, everyone, I'm sure, has had a Betty Becker in their life. Mrs. Becker um, was the wife of a mortician, so that gives you some kind of idea there. But she was a very classy lady, always in a dress, always with pearls, older woman, short, I don't even think she was five foot tall, coiffed white hair, the impeccable, impeccably dressed and impeccable English. And she had gave us an assignment in my 10th grade writing class to, to go and create, go and, and find pictures and then write about them. And I created a collage of pictures I grabbed from the newspaper and then I they were about the war and they were about unjust injustice and I put text to those pictures I, it was something along poetry or whatever and I will never forget that Mrs. Becker called me out of the class um, and held my paper um, held my paper in, in, in my face, and she said to me, who, who did this for you? Because she didn't believe that I could write like that. And you know, earlier, before that, that was 10th grade, in ninth grade she had caught me horsing around in study hall. And in ninth grade had pulled me out of the study hall and told me, I, she was going to have a problem with me, and she was going to keep her eye on me. So she had labeled me as a troublemaker. So now in 10th grade, when we're standing out in the hallway, and she has this paper that I spent time on, this collage of prose and pictures, and waving it at me and accusing me of plagiarism. And I said to her, and I must have, I must have, my sincerity must have come through, because I said, Mrs. Becker, I did that. 
No one did that for me. And I, I think the look on my face was like, oh my God, how could you accuse me of that? Because I was not a cheater. I said, no, I did that, Mrs. Becker. I, those are my words. I did that. I, I spent hours putting that together, and I explained a little bit to her how I, how I did it. And you know what? She must have been convinced because she turned, well, she, 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 I gave her the explanation. She gave me a look, and then I watched her click away because she had high heels. She, five or six clicks, and then she turned. She pivoted on one of those heels and turned back to me, and she looked at me still holding my paper. And she said to me, and I will never forget this, she said to me, I was wrong about you. I'm sorry I was wrong. I'll never forget that. And you can even hear the uh, emotion in my words because it was at that time, it was at that moment, <clears throat> I understood that my role as an idealist was as a writer. That my words my spoken words, and now with what I do about training my, my, uh, my written words, and now what I do with training my spoken words, that I can change the world, that I have the power to change the world. And it was at that moment with Mrs. Becker in the hallway at Linmar High School that I understood that. And so, listeners, as you're wondering... You know, we all have these moments. We heard from Daniel Ellsberg about his moment of truth. We heard of David Liners of his moment of truth. And I have to say, that was my moment of truth with Mrs. Becker. We all have these moments. The question is, as an idealist, do you let them pass? Or do you instead make them the foundation for something about going forward and making the world a better place? Well, that's it. Another show on LE 2.0 Radio. I hope you've enjoyed what we've talked about today. If you do, please email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. I love hearing from my listeners. And, and visit my website at lejkrug.com. A big thanks to our sponsors, the Pride Institute, which is a drug and alcohol residential and outpatient recovery center, and Brending Electrolysis. Let Bev know at Brending that, that I sent you. She does fabulous work. And a big thanks to my, my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you just rock. You are just so good to me. And to you, my listeners, a big thanks to you. We're coming up on the holidays soon. We've got one more show um, where I'll be talking about idealism, and then we'll have a couple of reruns. But thank you for tuning in. I'll talk to you next week. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.